Thank you, Muriel. All right, Psalm 133, if you would turn there tonight. Thank you. Let's read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll look at it, study it. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there, the mountains of Zion, the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Father, we pray as we look at this short psalm tonight, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. We always, I always pray as a teacher that you'd give us a life application, Lord, that it wouldn't be just a time to hear words, but to really receive from you and to apply the things that are pertinent, that are true, the things that are speaking to us in the moment. We pray that you would impress your truth upon our hearts, Lord, tonight. We do pray, Lord, for those that are not here. They're under the weather. We lift up Bob Berg and his medical uh, procedure tomorrow, procedures. We just pray for him. Pray your hand would be upon him and we ask for healing. We, we pray for anyone else, Lord, that might be under it, just going through some hard times that you would minister to them, Lord. Bring healing. So teach us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I think I mentioned the last time I taught on a Wednesday night that I really like the, the shorter psalms. Um, and you might be thinking, oh, brother, you really picked a short one today, you know? I mean, three verses, it's a short psalm. But there's a reason why I was drawn to Psalm 133. And it happened um, two weeks ago when we were at the, the conference the, um, in, in Skagit Valley. And it was at the end of the conference, a little day conference, and it was the very last song that the worship uh, team sang. And I'll just read you some of the ver uh, verses of the song. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We will pray that all unity will one day be restored. The chorus you know it, and they will know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they will know we are Christians by our love. It goes on, we will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand, we will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand, and together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And then it goes on, there's one more verse to the song, and I'll come back to that later. But we were singing that song, and, you know, uh, we were standing up. It was the, the end of the day, and it was really a rich time. And, 
And I, I heard the, the music start up, and I recognized the music right away. And, and then, of course, the lyrics popped up on the screen, and so I knew the song. And it took me back. As I'm listening to the song, it took me back. It took me back to uh, when I first got saved. And I remember, um, Tracy, you'll probably remember at Calvary Grass Valley, there were times that we would sing that song and our worship leader, Coy, would always encourage us to hold hands and we'd kind of reach across the, you know, the, the aisles of the, our church there. We would hold hands. I know it sounds hokey, but we would sing this song and we would sway back and forth. But the song, as I was listening to the song on that Saturday, it took me back even further than um, when I first got saved. It took me back to when I was a kid, a teenager, um, in the Catholic Church, Saturday Night Mass. You say, they sung that Saturday Night Mass? Yeah, they did. It was actually a song that was written by a priest. It was written by Peter uh, Solit. Sol Solites or something like that. I don't remember his name offhand. I do remember that it was written in 1966, and it was written shortly after Vatican II, which means absolutely nothing to most of you, and that's perfectly fine. But it was a song that he wrote, this priest, this Catholic priest, who later ended up leaving the priesthood, getting married, having a family, children and all, and going into business. But he wrote this song because he just wanted to encourage the body of Christ to be united. And so I was thinking of that. I was listening to the song. I think it's a beautiful, you know, little little song. It's not a worship song uh, because it's not really worshiping the Lord. It's, it's more kind of a exhortation or, you know, it's just a, a little song. And so I was listening to that. And as I was listening to that song and singing that song and, and kind of in, enjoying the song, it's, it's got a beautiful little melody to it, in my opinion. I was thinking of Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Psalm 133, you can look at it, it's a song of ascents. There are 15 songs of ascents, and they're all put together in the Hebrew hymn book, the book of Psalms. They're found in Psalm 120 to one. 34. So there's 15 of those uh, songs, uh, psalms, excuse me, of ascents. It's a song of David. And so we see that right at the beginning there, a song of David. And it's obviously a song about unity. So, um, you know, all of these things are perfectly clear. The word ascents is an interesting word. It literally means... Um, now, this is heavy, so you might want to take a pad of paper out and write this down. But the, the title actually means, a sense, the word actually means a journey to a higher place. I'm playing with you a little bit. You're thinking, Dan, I don't need that definition of the word, you know. Uh, be it Hebrew or English, I know what a scent means. It's interesting to me because the word ascents, the Hebrew word that's used there, does mean a journey to a higher place or, listen to this, a thought, a thought arising. A thought arising. 
the song of ascent, these songs or psalms of ascent, 15 of them, they're sung by the Hebrew worshipers as they're ascending the Temple Mount. As they ascend the 15 steps to the temple, they would sing these songs of ascent. Now remember, guys, that when David wrote Psalm 133, there was no temple. So he surely wasn't writing Psalm 103 with the temple in mind and, and you know, the Hebrew worshipers ascending to the temple. This is something that they did later. But David, when he wrote this psalm, I can't help but imagine David... He's writing this song. He's thinking about this topic, the topic of unity. He's, he's, he's thinking of brothers, the, the family of God, family of faith, dwelling together in unity. And he experiences a thought arising. And, and this good theme begins to run through his, his mind and his heart. And so he begins to write these things down. David declares in this psalm, this short psalm, that, that, that unity, that, that brothers, the family of faith, dwelling together is a good thing. And it's a pleasant thing. He describes unity as good and pleasant. Another thing that's interesting, you know, not always when we do a word study, on uh, different words as we're going through the scriptures. Not always do we find little nuggets, you know, sometimes the words just simply mean what we understand them to mean in our English language. But sometimes there are these little precious gems that we could find when we do word studies. And I think there's one here because the word pleasant can also be rendered sweet. So David says, how good and pleasant, or how good and sweet it is. I was trying to remember, Art Hogan, I think, always used to say, sweet, <laughs> sweet. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, David, I don't think he was thinking of sweet in that, in that way, but, but I, I think that there might be a, a bit of play on words here. David says, it's good. Now, he doesn't say it, but I think that we could assume that David says or is, you know, has in mind that this is good in the eyes of God. Unity. It's good in the eyes of God. And it's good, obviously, in the eyes of David. That's why he's writing these things. And I think that he would say, and it should be good in the eyes of his people. Unity. It's a good thing. It's a pleasant thing. And so David likens it to, look what it says in verse 2, the beginning of verse 2, it says, it is like, and then verse 3, again, it is like, and so he's going to give an illustration, he gives two illustrations, he says, it is like, verse 2, it is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments, so obviously David had something very, very specific in mind as he's, as he's thinking about this. Now, he's talking about brethren, the family of God, the family of believers, the family of the faithful dwelling together in unity. And he says, uh, it's, like, it's like oil on the head. 
Now, for us, we think, I'm not feeling it, you know, oil on the head, you know. Um, it's interesting how culturally it really does not mean the same thing to us. So I was kind of thinking when I was up in my office just reading over the text right before coming down, I thought, what if we were to say, it's good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like a gentle massage on the shoulders. It's like a, a warm soaking of the feet. It's like a, it's like a, you're saying, you like these things? I, I'll tell you, I, one time I had um, some of my grandchildren uh, I said, you know, Papa's blood pressure has been really high, you know, and I had just taken my blood pressure. And I said, guys, let's see if you guys could bring it down. I said, give Papa a back rub, you know. And, and so I think it was Wilder and a few of the, you know, they kind of teamed up on me, you know. And they're just, because they, they don't have a lot of strength in their hands, so they're just kind of gently going like this. And I'm just feeling this rela relaxation come over me. And I said, keep doing it, keep doing it. And I go, you know. And I watch my blood pressure just go down to normal, something pleasant. It's like, it's like a warm, like an electric blanket on a cold winter night, you know. I, whatever. It's something that is pleasing, something that's soothing, something that is comforting. And, and for us, the oil thing doesn't, doesn't really feel. When I was a kid, a little kid, every man... Um, had oil in their hair or grease in their hair. Um, this, it was a hairstyle, you know. We had brill cream. It looked like toothpaste. Sometimes you would get it confused with the toothpaste, and that was gross. But um, but it was white, and you'd put it on your hand, and you'd rub it in your hair, and I could remember combing my hair, and the wet look was in, you know. I mean, that was just kind of the way it was back then in the <laughs> early 60s. And then, of course, you know, the wet look didn't look as good as anymore, and so we wanted that dry, kind of flowing hair, you know, letting our freak flag fly type of thing. But, but oil in biblical times was something that was good and pleasant, and so David uses that as an illustration, and in essence, David says, and unity among God's people is always good and pleasant. It's like brethren dwelling together in unity. It's likened to oil on the head. And he gets very, very specific. You know, I, I actually had to do research because I, I thought, Lord, what's the deal with oil among your people? Because we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see oil mentioned throughout the scriptures over and over again. It's always in a positive light. You never read of oil in a negative light. It's always a positive thing, a, a wonderful thing. And so I just kind of had to do some research on this. And um, oil on the head was pleasant, first of all, because of the sweet fragrance. It's on your head, it's close to the nose, and, and it would be a sweet-smelling thing. It would just be a pleasing thing. It was something, of course, that you would do if you had a guest that came to your house. You would anoint their head with oil or maybe just put a little on their forehead. And, and what it would be is it, it would be this fragrance that would just kind of linger with them. And uh, 
and uh, your guests, the rest of your guests. But it also, oil on the head, uh, was good because it made the hair smooth and elegant. Sounds like a shampoo commercial. <laughs> but, but it was. It was something that was, you know, and, and even as I say that, maybe you can picture times when maybe you've seen a, a biblical movie or something like that, and, you know, the character comes out, and they, they're all slick, you know, they're all, they've got the oil on the head, and they just, and, and they do look refreshed. I mean, they really do. They just kind of look like, man, they, you're looking good, you know. And so, so really, that was the appeal of it. And, and unity, David said, unity is like oil not only on the head, but oil running down on the beard. So oil, because it's oily, it doesn't stay in one spot. And so David pictures the oil coming down on the beard. I, um, I don't have a thick beard, but I remember Brittany, all of my girls are always my girls, my married daughter-in-law, you know, they're all so creative. They're always doing stuff. Uh, sometimes we'll just sit and watch videos of what they're doing, you know, homeschooling, whatever they do, it's just like really creative. But Brittany had a business when she was in California and part of the business, they did um, beard oil. You can know where she got that. I mean, look at Edward, you know. He's got, he's got the thick beard, you know. And she would send me this, uh, this beard oil. And of course, I didn't have a thick beard, but, but I would put that stuff on sometimes. And you know, it, it kind of darkened up the gray spots. And, and it kind of, it wasn't mortar oil, but it was, you know, just, and it kind of gave a little bit of a shine, you know. And, and it just, it looked good. It looked pleasant. And so I'm thinking of that as I'm reading this. David, he's, he's thinking very specifically. Because he goes on, unity, it's like oil running down on the beard of Aaron. Not just anybody, but the beard of Aaron. Who's Aaron? Oh, he's the brother of Moses. Aaron. He's the first high priest. Aaron. You say, David, really? You're thinking of Aaron? And then he goes on, and he says, unity is it's likened to oil running down on the edge of his garments. And so we have this picture. David is, is creating a picture with these words. And, and the image, to me, seems to be the oil of consecration. The oil poured on Aaron's head, flowing down on his beard, down on his shoulders, down onto the breastplate. Do you remember the breastplate? Twelve stones, twelve stones representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Unity. Are you following, guys? This is really intriguing stuff, I think. In Exodus chapter 28, verses 29 through 30, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial, listen, as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Wow. <coughs> so again, on this theme of oil, I was, I was just kind of sitting down. I, I was just writing down things. Oil, what comes to mind, biblically speaking, 
oil. Well, I thought, first thing that came to mind is oil is something that is, that is worthy of the Messiah. Remember at his birth, myrrh and frankincense. It's oil. Do you know that from the gospel accounts, we know of at least three times that Jesus was anointed with fragrant oil before his burial, before his death and burial? Oil. It's worthy of the Messiah. And then I thought, oil. Well, oil is something, maybe it speaks of something dedicated to God. Oil. Or something chosen by God. Oil. Oil was for the anointing of priests and kings. We see that in the scripture. Oil was a blessing. Remember in 1 Kings chapter 17, the constant flow of oil in the widow's jar. Remember that? She was in need. It was a blessing. And then you got in 2 Kings, we have another widow and we have the oil of sustenance, the filling of the widow's empty vessels, oil. Do you have any more? Do you have any more? Do you have any more? What was she going to do with all that oil? She wasn't going to keep it for herself. She was going to sell it. It was sustenance. It was, it was to really support her. She was in need. Um, oil. Well, I think of healing. James chapter 5, oil. If any among you are sick, let them call for the elders, and they will anoint you with oil. And pray the prayer of faith. Oil, light, lamps, the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. Man, there's a lot there. What are we? What category do we fit in? And then I think of oil as something that softens. Um, Isaiah opens chapter 1, verse 6, speaking of, of something that needs to be softened with oil. Speaking of Israel and their hardness. And oil, of course, was symbolic of, of hospitality and honor and respect. Remember when Jesus went to Simon the Pharisee's house for a meal, and the woman came in, and she's anointing Jesus. And, and Jesus said to Simon, he says, You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Now, Jesus, I don't think he would have said anything if the Pharisee wasn't thinking what he was thinking. You know, if this man was truly a prophet of God or, you know, if he truly was more than just a mere man, he'd know what kind of woman this was who's touching him. And that's when he called him out. He says, you know, I come into your house. You don't even show me the respect of anointing my head with oil or washing my feet or any of the common, <laughs> you know, symbols, gestures of hospitality. You don't show me anything. I think of oil. Oil is a symbol of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he gives us gifts, spiritual ones. The Holy Spirit, he dedicates us, he sets us apart. The Holy Spirit, he anoints us for service. The Holy Spirit, he constantly fills us with himself. The Holy Spirit fills the empty vessels. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, place your faith in Christ and he'll fill you. The Holy Spirit brings healing. The Holy Spirit gives light and so much more.
So David says, Behold how good and pleasant and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. And then verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. So another illustration. Again, we might be able to relate to this one a little bit better than the oil one, but I guarantee you that those who would read this psalm, sing this psalm, hear this psalm, Old Testament, New Testament, they would have understood the significance and, and just the, 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 pre, uh, the, the, the uh, pleasure that comes from oil. And uh, the dew from Hermon, Hermon, a mountain in Israel, it's 7,000 or yeah, 7,000 feet. It was a major source of water. I've mentioned many times before, and, and you know this to be true if you're familiar with Israel, that um, Israel is in constant need of water. This is why it's so intriguing that the Hebrew people, the Jewish people today have figured out ways of getting water out of just the uh, moisture in the air. I mean, it's just amazing, you know. But Mount Hermon, they actually ski on Hermon. It's not like a ski resort here in the States, but, but they, they ski on Hermon, and, and it would be a source of, of water. Of course, the, the snow from Hermon would melt and would go down to the, to the lower lands. And it says, it's like the dew, the dew of Hermon. I wonder if it symbolizes that which is refreshing or invigorating or satisfying. When Tracy and I were in Oregon um, a few weeks ago, last week, I guess, um, you know, because it's fall, there's a lot of dew in the morning. And so... Uh, you know, the grass in front of the place we were staying. I mean, it was just green, beautiful, just, you know, lush green. But it was just wet. Everything was wet. It hadn't rained. It's just the dew, the moisture that was there, you know. Um, you go to places like, I guess, parts of Hawaii. It's not true of all of the Hawaiian islands, but some of the Hawaiian islands and some, you know, particular sides of the islands, you'll have... You know, you have this jungle-type environment. It's, uh, you don't need to necessarily water because you have the natural watering of rain. Every day, you know, you get a, a rain, and then you'll have the sun, and, and it just keeps everything green and lush and that type of thing. And so I was kind of thinking of that when I was considering this. The Dew of Hermon, it's likened to the refreshing influence of worshiping together in unity unity do you know that david when david became king he he reigned of course in judah but also benjamin and he reigned for seven and a half years in a divided kingdom but then after the seven and a half years, the Lord blessed him and brought the kingdom back together. Remember, it was a united kingdom, but under, under Saul, because of his foolishness, you know, things had 
broken apart, split apart. And David was able to be the king of a united kingdom. And I wonder if that's when he wrote this particular psalm. People coming together. No longer are people going up to Dan to worship at an altar that God never sanctioned. Um, unity. It's beautiful. Now there's positional unity. And by that I mean that if you are a child of God, if you placed your faith in Christ, then you are in one body. There's only one body and um, you're united with everyone else in that one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You guys know the text. If you don't, I encourage you to read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 12 onward. But then there's the practical unity. And the practical unity is something that that we must maintain. Let me read, and you could turn there if you'd like, Ephesians chapter 4. Why don't you turn there and we'll, the first six verses, we're just going to look at those, give you a chance to get there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Here it is, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he says, There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So there's that, that practical unity. This is something that we need to maintain. Again, David says, behold how good and how pleasant how sweet it is for brethren to dwell together in unity it's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garment it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains plural of Zion for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore I'm going to come back to that last part in a few moments here unity Unity, it's like a gift to God. Unity, it's a blessing to us. Unity, it sustains or it, it, it nourishes our soul. Unity, it fills and fills and fills. Unity is healing. Unity is like light for us. Unity softens us. Unity is showing hospitality honor and respect to one another. Unity is refreshing and invigorating to our faith. But sadly, it seems in modern day Christian life, unity is waning.
Let me touch on something before I come back to the unity thing. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there, what's the there? The mountains of Zion. For there, the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You say, Dan, obviously, you're trying to, you're leading up to something. Well, I, I think that this short little song, you might say, oh, you know, three verses, come on, you know. We can go a little deeper than that, can't we? I suggest to you that this little psalm, three verses, is prophetic in nature. Descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The mountains of Zion would include, obviously, the Temple Mount. The mountains of Zion would include the city of David. The mountains of Zion would include Golgotha. I wonder if this is not prophetic. I mean, true unity. You look at Israel, you know, even back in the day, you know, they were warring against each other. There was conflict. Boy, they didn't seem very united. I mean, you just keep going back, you know, you look at uh, Jacob and his family united. No, they weren't really united, you know, and there was conflict and strife and, you know, they wanted to do away with uh, <laughs> their little brother, uh, Joseph, and, and all of that. And you say, okay, well, let's go back further, you know. Let's go back to Abraham and, and, and his family, you know, his his, his Abraham and Lot and, and, and their herdsmen were contending with one another and it would be better if we just separate, you know, you know, so much for unity. Well, okay, let's go back even further. Okay, let's go back to Adam and Eve and then you've got the, you know, you've got Cain and you've got Abel and unity. No, 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 they were united and there, there just doesn't seem to be any hope for humanity if unity was completely up to us. But in Christ, we are united. In Christ, we are united. It is, you know, uh, it's ironic, really, that I'm teaching this psalm today, tonight. It's ironic because Earlier today, I was talking with a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, and talking about a situation, and and we're kind of, you know, just kind of going back and forth about this situation, and it has to do with how ununited the Calvary Chapel movement is up in our region, and and just kind of the heartaches and the confusions and the hurt feelings and and all of this that that is created because. You know, Calvary Chapel pastors and churches up in the Northwest, um, you know, really aren't united at all. We we're just kind of talking about that, and I thought, boy, it's ironic that I'm 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 teaching on that tonight, because I was planning on teaching on that before the conversation came up, and and I I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me with this because um, 
we're not united. You look at any given community. Now, we would say, and we would, would, would be correct, we would say, well, we have brothers and sisters that attend the church up here and the church across town and the church over here in this corner and the church downtown. And, the, you know, and we could drive by all these churches and say, oh, there are surely true believers in all of these churches. Um, one day we will spend eternity together in heaven, you know, all united under Christ. But what about today? Well, you know, there's, uh, there's reasons why we really can't come together because of this, that, and the other. And I'm not making light of those things. There are some major things that keep, really, if you're biblically sound, you want to be biblically sound, keeps you from kind of that, that unity that I think would be pleasing to the Lord. It's a strange thing that you can, um, you go to a church, you meet people, they come to your home, you become friends, and then something happens. And when you see them coming down the, you know, grocery store aisle, or they see you coming their way, man, they, they split, you know, they, oh, I don't want to talk to them, oh, this is so awkward, you know, and you just kind of think, wow, isn't this sad? I mean, it really is sad, you know. And you have people, you know, they get their feelings hurt and so on, oh, I'll never, and I'll, you know, and, and we all do this, I mean, you know, we all can, can just be so petty when it comes to things. Let, let me go back to this list. With all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. I, don't, I, I read that, and I just... I picture humility. I mean, I just, just kind of, you know, this kind of downward movement, not this upward thing, you know, but this downward movement. Well, I'll come back to that. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2? Let me read this one more time as you're making your way there. There, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garment. It's like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. In Acts chapter and verse 42. This is after we're told that about 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. And it says, and they continued. I circled that word because that sounded like a unity word, word to me. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' uh, 
doctrines, or doctrine, excuse me, and fellowship, and fellowship, I should have circled that because that's truly unity. In the breaking of bread and in prayers, those describe unity as well. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done throughout or, or through the apostles. Sometimes you go, why aren't we seeing it? Hmm. Now all who believed were together. That's a unity word. And had all things in common. Uh, that's unity. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all. That's unity. But then there's clarity, as anyone had need. It wasn't just a, it wasn't communism, you know. It was, it was structured. So continuing, there's that word again, daily with one accord. Well, there, there's a unity. In the temple and breaking bread from house to house. That describes unity. They ate their food, I love this, with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. That's unity. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's the early church. That's what every church should model themselves after, you know. You know that Stephen Furtick, that silly guy, he really is a knucklehead. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, if you're saved, this church isn't for you. And I'm thinking, church is only for the saved. The very word church is ecclesia, the called out ones. Church doesn't exist for the non-believer. Church is believers. That's what it, the very word is, ecclesia. Continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine together. Fellowship together, breaking bread together, praying together. Fear came upon every soul together. All who believed were together. All things in common together. Continuing daily in one accord together. Breaking bread from house to house together. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart together. Praising God and having favor with all people, all the people together. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And like David said, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. Beautiful. Let me go back to the song. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity will one day be restored. Yes, Lord, we pray for that. The chorus, and they shall know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And here's the last verse. We will work 
with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. Hmm. I don't remember singing <laughs> that last verse. Maybe, maybe all but that last line. Dignity. Well, you say dignity. Yes, we all should have dignity. Yes, we should have dignity. But, you know, if you were to look, I looked at the Thoris, you know, just uh, equivalent words for, for dignity. Self-respect, self-esteem, self, 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 self. <laughs> and do I need to say anything about pride? And I thought, oh, Father Pete, nice song until you got to that last line. Because pride is the very thing that destroys unity. The very thing. I think that Father Pete was using this song, you know, the time frame and all. It was kind of like um, some of the protest songs of Bob Dylan and um, what was his name? He played a banjo. Uh, old, old guy. Uh, he was a it's saying with the unions and all that, stand with the union. Uh, Pete Sager, Pete Sager. Uh, you know, maybe Father Pete, when he wrote this, he was kind of thinking within that vein. Because a lot of their songs, you know, you listen to their songs, those early kind of protest songs, they sounded very spiritual. They were kind of spiritual sounding songs, but they weren't necessarily uh, Christ-centered songs. They were more man-centered. We must pray for unity. We must do our part. Why does certain things feel like a task? when at one time they didn't feel like a task? Why does continuingly or continuing steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, you know, and fellowship and the breaking of bread and so on and so forth, why does that feel like a task today for so many when at one time it wasn't a task at all. It just, it was a pleasure. It was something you just, oh, I just want to do this. I think of, um, I've talked about it. it. It had such an impact upon me. And I, if I could, you know, kind of be, you know, time travel and go back to that time and, and just sit in and listen to the Bible studies and, and listen to the worship, I wonder what I would think about it today. But at the time, it just had such an impact upon me. When we were in Santa Barbara, and we were going to Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, and 
the church didn't own a building at that time, and so they rented the YMCA, and that was their Sunday mornings. They had a, two or three services, I think, on Sunday mornings at the YMCA. And then in the, uh, the midweek, they had a home Bible study on Upper State Street. So State Street is the main street boulevard that runs through Santa Barbara, and uh, one of them. And it was in a house in Upper State Street. And then there was another home Bible study, so the midweek Bible study in Goleta. Um, so that's outside of Santa Barbara going north. So, um, you know, you have a church of probably at that time close to 2,000 people, I would think. But the midweek was quite a bit smaller. I mean, you surely weren't fitting that many people in the house. And I remember when Tracy and I would go to our midweek Bible study at the house on Upper State Street, there was always this anticipation, this excitement. We were living with Tracy's parents, and so we had a built-in babysitter for Josh, and, and we would always get there early because we knew if you didn't get there early, you weren't going to be able to sit in the main room where everything was happening. You'd have to sit in the in the entry or up the stairs. People would sit two by two on the steps of the stairway going upstairs. Uh, some would sit in the kitchen. It was an old Victorian house. You know, the Victorian houses, they didn't have an open uh, floor layout. It's small rooms all over the place. And so we had speakers. And during the summer, we would open up the windows of the house and uh, just put the speakers outside. And so people could actually lay blankets out on the front lawn. And uh, you would be able to hear the worship and worship there on the front lawn and then uh, hear the Bible study. And the Bible study was taught by Johnny. I forget Johnny's last name. Johnny was an architect. He was a young guy, um, obviously a little older than me, but he wasn't that much older, young guy. He left his architectural, I don't think he had his own firm, but he left his profession and went on staff at Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. He was the worship leader. And um, for a church that big, it was pretty much Johnny who led by himself uh, every Sunday. And of course, he taught that midweek Bible study in the Santa Barbara house. And we would come together. And the majority of the people um, were single. There were married couples, young married couples with no children. There was Tracy and I with a son. And there was one single mom with a little boy, a little, little guy. And we would go to that Bible study, and it was so rich. I mean, it was not a, a duty. It was not something we dreaded. It was just absolutely beautiful. And it was like the Lord was just moving in such a very special way. We left there, moved back up to Grass Valley. And when we moved back up to Grass Valley, um, some dear friends of ours who had been gone the same period of time. We were gone for a year. They were gone for a year. They were in Santa Cruz. We were in Santa Barbara. We, we moved back the same week. I mean, we had not been in contact with these folks for a year. They moved back the same week. And uh, Tracy and I sat down with them, and we said, you know, guys, we want to tell you something, and we hope it doesn't affect our, our friendship. You know, we love you guys. and But... Um, when we were in Santa Barbara, we went 
to Calvary Chapel, and the Word of God is taught there. And there's a Calvary Chapel in Grass Valley, we heard, and, and uh, we just want you to know that we're not going back to the church that we attended together. We're going to Calvary Chapel. And they started laughing. We kind of looked at each other, and they said, for the year that we've been in Santa Cruz, we've been going to a Calvary Chapel. Now, they knew something about Calvary Chapel because uh, his older brother was on staff at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and was a pastor at the time and still is to the present day uh, of Trail Christian Fellowship in Oregon and above Medford. And he was a friend of John Corson's. They went to Biola together, and then they both pioneered their churches around the same period of time. And so they knew about Calvary Chapel, but they said, we're going to Calvary Chapel as well. And the draw was two things. The draw was the teaching of the Word of God and the worship. Um, we, we just felt this, this draw to worship the Lord. I, I think of how, um, you know, worship... Marielle and Nate had gone to a worship conference last week, and worship has really kind of become its own thing, you know. And that's why these conferences are so good, because, you know, you have pastors of churches that are really encouraging, and worship leaders that have been doing this for a long time. They're mature in their faith, and they're reminding young worship leaders coming up in the church, listen, don't make it about you. It's about worshiping the Lord. You know, keep it simple, stupid. No, they don't say that, but, you know, the kiss approach. But, um, but you know, it's a good exhortation and everything. But, but you know, the, the worship, I mean, some of these worship bands in some of these large churches, I mean, they really are phenomenal. I mean, they just have everything. And in one sense, there's so much that it almost takes <laughs> the effort of worship out of worship. We don't have to praise them because they're praising them. Um, you know, we can kind of sit back. I mean, this is true of a lot of churches today. It's like a performance. We go, we listen, they have phenomenal music, you know. Phenomenal, you know, we clap after every song, and we, and then the preacher gets up, oh, he's a phenomenal preacher, I'm not talking about here, I'm talking about, you know, the big churches, and oh man, this guy, he is phenomenal, you know, what a great speaker, oh, I'm so motivated, you know, and then they go on their way. But I'll tell you, the simplicity of God's people coming together, the unity that pleases the heart of God. The, the unity that moved the heart of David. You know, you don't have to lose that just because you're, in a, you're not in a large church, but if you were in a large church, you don't have to lose that. It's really an issue of the heart. Lord, we have an opportunity to come to this place. I was thinking of some of you very specifically today. I, don't want, I won't embarrass you, but I was thinking of some of you today, and I was thinking and I was praying and I was saying, Lord, some of the folks, and I was naming some of the folks to the Lord because he's okay with that. He knows how to keep secrets. <laughs> and I said, you know, some of the folks, Lord, it seemed like last year there was just this movement. There was this push for maturity. There was this kind of let's see what's, what they're going to be doing a year from now. I mean, it seems like the Lord is really moving upon their hearts. Isn't this exciting, you know? And here we are 
about a year later. And for some, it just seems like things have just kind of petered out. Like the engine has run out of gas, the spiritual engine. And I think, what, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? I want the simplicity. You know, when I prayed, and, and eventually Tracy got on board, uh, but I prayed for a couple of years that the Lord would allow us to go out and pioneer a church. And I used to pray, and this is what I'd pray. I'd say, Lord, I pray, we'll go anywhere. We'll go to the desert. Now, that seems like a weird prayer. But when you live in beautiful places like we have, you know, we lived on the coast of San Diego. We lived in Santa Barbara. I mean, gorgeous city. I mean, it's just beautiful city. We lived in Grass Valley, mining country. When you say, Lord, I'll go to the desert, you're saying, Lord, I'll even go out there. <laughs> no, the desert is beautiful for some people, but, but you know, it's, it's, it, it lacks things like an ocean. <laughs> you know, we've always lived fairly good water, yeah, you know, things like that. But, you know, if you like the desert, that's fine. But, but I said, Lord, pray that you just, you know, you send us out to the desert. And I prayed, Lord, that you would give us 60 people. I don't know why I'd always ask for 60 people. That you'd give us 60 people that I could teach and we could love and we could grow together. And I was very idealistic in my whole approach. And, and when I'd pray and I'd think about pioneering a church and everything, and, and it just very idealistic. I mean, really, I, it was uh, very immature what I thought it would be. And of course, the Lord sent us to Whidbey Island. Sometimes I still, after all these years, you know, three plus decades, I pinch myself and I say, we're not in the desert. We're not, we're not out in, you know, you know, we're not watching tumbleweeds blow by. We live on Whidbey Island. We live in a place where people desire a vacation. We got this little church. I used to sit out here and pray, Lord, would you give us this church? I didn't mean give it to us. I meant like let us rent it. But Lord, would you give us this church? Would you bless the church that's in here so that they'll move and we'll, get, we'll be able to move into this building? I don't know why I picked this church. I had no idea that the Lord was one day going to give us this church building. But, you know, I mean, as far as church, this is an old building. But... You can't beat the view. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's pretty nice. I mean, more water. But I'll tell you, as a believer and as a pastor and a teacher, I long for a deeper unity among God's people. Sometimes we can say, I love all people. And by saying that, we love no one. I mean, if we could, wherever we're at, you know, some people, they can't make up their mind what church they want to attend. It's whatever seems appealing in the moment. Rather than just settling down and saying, Lord, it's not what I can get but what can I give, you know? I would think this would be a church where people would say, 
there's a lot I could give in this little church. A lot of areas that, that you know, need service, you know, in this little, little, little fellowship of believers, you know. But I pray, I pray. And we pray that all unity will one day be restored. One day it will, when we're in the presence of the Lord. When we're with him, it won't matter, you know, if you're a Baptist or Calvary or whatever. There'll be complete, perfect unity in Christ. But I pray that for those of us at Calvary Chapel Oak Harbor, that we would choose to prefer one another. That we would choose to pray with one another. That we would choose to have one another in our homes, fellowshipping with one another. Casting our burdens upon the Lord together. Seeing the Lord answer prayers that we pray to him together. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see, I'd love to be in a church, because we've been in churches, and this church has been that way at different times, different seasons, but I'd love to be in a church where we worship the Lord in spirit and truth, and the Lord is just moving in miraculous ways. You know, I think that the reason we don't see what we long to see and what people pretend to have and to see, talking about a lot of these prosperity things, they don't have it. It's all hype but I know that the Lord is still moving. And I think of some of the stories we hear, you know, of churches in hard places like Afghanistan and India and Iran, where it's not easy to be a Christian, and how those people, be it <laughs> very few in, in many cases, they love one another. They're united with one another. They're dependent upon one another. They're united because where else are they going to go? Who else do they have? And it's in those places we hear, well, we just read it next. And the Lord added to the church daily those who would be saved. I mean, the stories we keep hearing out of Iran, it's phenomenal that people are seeing visions. And you know what? They're not going on TBN or Daystar, whatever that program is. They're not writing books about it. They're seeing visions of Jesus and they're coming to faith. And the Lord is working in such a miraculous way among, among these, these people who are really united in Christ. So, Lord, we pray that one day you would restore unity. Not just the positional. That is ours. That is secure. We are one in you, Lord. But the practical. Please, Lord, we pray that we might prefer one another. We pray, Father, that prayer meeting would not become, would not be a task. It's just hard to get back to that place at 6 o'clock on a Sunday evening. We pray, Father, that Wednesday night would not be something that 
It's just not attended any longer. And like in so many churches, the Wednesday night service goes the way of the Sunday night service, and that is extinct. It no longer exists. So help us, Lord, to look at the early church, to look at their simplicity of heart, their gladness, their faith, their sincerity, their humility, and say, Lord, help me to be that to my brother and sister. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.